0: Yeah, we'll see you in a few minutes for that. So um, let's rattle straight along. We're we're continuing on this theme. These these talks seem to be. Falling. I don't think this has happened by accident. I think these have been curated quite carefully um, as we build on this theme of accessibility. Um, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to hear rather from, from Carl Groves in a second, um, who's uh, who's got a lovely title for his talk: "To Hell with Performance." So uh, who knows what kind of shenanigans we're going to be up to here? Um, but Carl works at uh, Paciello Group. Um, Paciello Group. I'm sorry. I knew <laughs> that I'd bodged that. Uh, in uh, in Washington DC, uh, helping companies do a better job of accessibility and performance um, has been built tools on, on, uh, to help with this and, uh, and uh, does various courses uh, on this subject. So, so, let's hand straight over Carl Groves, everyone. So, I, I got this invite to, to talk here and I was extremely excited and, and I was willing to talk about just about anything and they said, well, the theme is going to be performance. Uh, So we're gonna we want you to talk about performance and accessibility. I was like, cool, no no problem, whatever. And uh, and then you know I took my sweet time figuring out exactly what I was gonna talk about. And I looked at the descriptions of the talks and I saw Marcy's talk and I thought, shit, (laughs) like she's already saying all the good stuff. You know I'm like, what am I gonna say that's different? And then I saw the date, and it's April first, and I'm like, yes, (laughs) to hell with performance. They're going to love it. I'm going to make friends. But first, who thought it was a good idea to invite a former philosophy major to do a 20-minute talk? I had to remove about 10 slides with meaningless inspirational gibberish, 15 slides bitching about the NS, (laughs) and 30 slides dedicated to cheese, marijuana, and sex museums. So I guess I better get to the meat. It's the only Dutch word I know, and don't ask me to pronounce it, because I don't don't have any phlegm in my throat yet. Um, So really, who gives a shit? That picture, by the way, I've been waiting to use that for a long time. It's a truck full of donkeys. So this person's literally hauling ass. (laughs) But really, who cares? Well, actually, our customers care. Okay, and so if we're talking about performance, we can all pat ourselves in the back and say, yes, I shaved off a couple of milliseconds. But the reason why we want to do that is because our customers want that. I'm I'm, I'm American, so I'm a shameless capitalist, and I like money. A one-second delay in web page responsiveness led to a 7% decrease in conversions an 11% drop in page views and 16% decrease in customer satisfaction. After three seconds, 40% of those potential customers will abandon your site. So really, if we're really going to talk a lot about performance today, we're really talking about doing a good job for our customers, because the customers buy our stuff, and then developers can pay our salaries. So let's talk a little bit about my personal love affair with performance. Several years ago, probably long before many of you guys were out of school um i i had the opportunity to work on a site that had a little bit of a um adult nature and um and and i was i was relatively new to performance because i'd never really worked on a site that had a lot of traffic if you happen to have popular content in in, of an adult nature you learn a lot about database indexing really fast, <laughs> because we, we happen to have a lot of referral traffic come in. Uh, I have no idea why or from where, and it didn't really matter because we were talking about money, uh, and it was just get, the server was getting hammered um, and I had to learn a lot about database indexing then, and then uh, I created my own product, and we have uh, we have three thousand users on this product, which isn't you know we're not Uber or anything like that. But uh, but there's lots of resource-intensive operations going on on this product where we're doing we're talking about we have a million logs so far we've logged over 30 million uh, individual issues the database obviously is growing very massively so then we're starting to talk, talk about sharding and load balancing and all that sort of stuff so so I have a little bit of experience with with performance but not so much on the front end as a lot of you guys have my, my experience is mostly on the back end. But when we're talking about performance, I think about why can't we just add accessibility into this mix? When we're talking about customers who bail, there's very real reason to continue to care about customers with disabilities who may bail as well. Now, this quote comes from uh, a brick and mortar, a traditional uh, uh, physical uh, web study of people at... um, at stores and stuff like that. But I think that there's probably a strong correlation with technology as well. Looking at this across impairment, the percentage of people who have left a business due to accessibility problems can reach 83%. So that is a ton of people, and we should care about them as well. So I started thinking about that from a performance perspective, and I wanted to teach people a little bit about accessibility. And there's lots of resources out there. As a matter of fact, the WCAG standard itself is 36 pages when it's printed out, and the how-to-meet documentation is 44 pages. So you have the standard, and they tell you how to meet it, and that's longer. And then, hey, if that other shit didn't do it, let's add 230 more pages to the mix. Understanding WCAG. And then there's the techniques and failures. So I'd really have a better idea about that when we're talking about accessibility. Let's teach designers and developers to do one thing. Always ask, what is this thing and what does it do? Forget about the thousand pages of stuff. What is this thing and what does it do? Because that's what the user is actually going to be asking when they get to the page. They want to know, where am I? What can I do here? How do I do that? And if I've made a mistake, how do I fix it? And Marcy talked about uh, some of this stuff when she was talking about using the regular select element, right? Because you get that accessibility for free. Once, once you've, you've gotten to that control, the user's gonna ask themselves, what is this thing and what does it do? And some of that stuff comes for free. And she also talked about the performance uh, stuff on the, the CNN page loading and a lot of the information that a screen reader is going to read out is going to tell the person where they are. And so the first thing it reads out is the title tag. And then it's going to start reading uh, the percent loading that you showed. But after that clip, what else is it's going to tell you is how many links are on the page, how many headings are on the page, how many frames, how many tables, all that sort of stuff, that information that in a badly performing site they're not going to get. Until all that stuff is loaded, because it's going to need to use that information uh, to uh, to get there. So, so from a user a user experience perspective, from the user's performance, right? They they we're really talking about what's known as the principle of least astonishment. Basically, a person should be able to look at something and immediately intuit what they're supposed to do when they get there. But if you can't see You can't form that cognitive model of what's on the screen. You're going to have a hard time. Anybody know what this is? Really, seriously? (laughs) It's a front end conference. Okay, it's a dropdown. So what what does it do? You click it and select one, right? That's it. Is that all a select element does? No. So the HTML select element uh, represents a control that presents a menu of options. The options within the menu are represented by option elements, which can be grouped by op group elements. Options can be pre-selected for the user. Tab moves focus into the field. A second tab selects the current item on the list, updates the field's value, closes the dropdown list, and moves focus to the next focusable item in the tab order. An Alt and down arrow, or and or space, opens the dropdown list and moves focus to the selected option. If nothing is selected, then focus moves to the first option in the list. If the combo box is not editable, I'm really sorry to the, <laughs> Uh, then the spacebar must also be used to open the drop-down list. Up and down arrow moves focus up and down the list. As focus moves inside the drop-down list, the fie- uh, edit field is updated. Enter selects the current item on the list, updates the value, highlights the selected item in the drop-down list, closes the drop-down list, and returns focus to the field. Escape key closes the drop-down list, r- returns focus to the field, and does not change the current selection. Typing a letter, a printable character, m- key moves focus to the next instance of the visible node whose title begins with, the, with that printable letter, and it exposes these roles to assistive technologies. So <laughs> I like <it>. huh. Okay. <laughs> you don't say. So let's look at uh, let's look at a really popular jQuery plugin. As a matter of fact, I should probably plug in the audio first. Alright, we'll start over.
1: Black pop-up button. Menu two hundred fifty-two items check mark. United States. United Kingdom. Afghanistan. Alan Island Islands. Afghanistan. United Kingdom. United States. Cloth So that's
0: the standard select element, demonstrating all those things that I just read rather rapidly.
1: Using menu. United States. Pop-up button. Edit text. Blank. <laughs> you are currently on a text field.
0: Haha! <laughs> April Fools, Mr. Assistive Technology User.
1: Yeah. Black pop-up button.
0: Shh. All right, so that's chosen a jQuery plugin to tame unwieldy select boxes by replacing it with something more unwieldy. So another thing that the people need to know when they get to a site or interact with stuff is what's happening. Like, I'm now interacting with something. I need to know what's going on. What's the result of my action? So this is, uh, this is a, an example of ARIA Live Regions. Um, I, I don't know if anybody here knows what Live Regions are. Anybody know what Live Regions are? Okay. So Live Regions are a really cool piece of technology because they'll be, they'll, tell you, they'll be able to tell you information on the screen that may uh, have been added or changed separate from where you currently have focus. If you're on a screen reader, and as you, as you tab around, as you get to the different pieces of the, of the content, it reads what has focus. But if you're doing something else, say sorting a table, then you have no idea what has happened uh, uh, without being told. So this is actually, uh, I, I use this example as a web components talk, but um, one of the things that, that is here is this, uh, this live region here. And so the live region I've applied to the, uh, the, to the caption element, it's got an uh, ARIA Live uh, value of assertive, which means anytime time that content changes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be read out to the user. Uh, and so uh, the, uh, the other parts here are, are uh, relevant to, to making that live region work. But what's great about this then is now we have an opportunity to tell pe- uh, a user what's going on.
1: Voice over on Chrome. CSV-preview window. Cool table, bro. Sorted by first name descending. You are currently on a cool table, bro. Sorted by first right. name was last email. Cool table, cool table, bro. Sorted by email ascending. <laughs> you are currently on a cell. Voice over off.
0: It's very painful for me to listen to voiceover that slow. It's uh, usually much faster. But we need to be able to tell the user what's happening, especially especially if that content has come from AJAX or something like that. Because we have to, if they have to wait for something to, to load, then they're going need to need to understand what's happening there. So here's another example um, of that.
1: VoiceOver on Chrome, AJAX loading, load content loading, please wait, alert main one item. You are currently on alert. To interact with items in this group, press control main two items. You are currently on a group, VoiceOver off.
0: So when you present something with a role of an alert, it's automatically treated like an re Live region, so, which is great because you saw when I put that overlay on there and had the loading, uh, loading image, it said, please wait, content loading. We're telling the user what's going on, so they know that they can wait around, and hopefully we're going to tell them what, what has happened or redirect them to the new content. And that's really vital in cases like, let's say we have a web store that allows us to filter our search results. And so you filter your search results, you have to make another round trip to the server to get, to get the new products. And when you update that content, tell them you updated it. And that's really all that really, uh, you know. when that case really need to do. Another thing that we want to do is that we can tell them what has happened. Uh, and this is really important for, uh, for use cases that are uh, on form driven workflows, where um, we need to give the user the ability to recover from error. Um, because one thing that I've noticed in many, many, many usability studies is that a task that takes a non disabled person a couple of minutes can take a person with a disability 10 times as long. I'm making that number up, but you get what I'm saying. If they can't recover from the error because they don't know what the hell has happened, then, then we're, gonna, we're doing them a little bit of a disservice. So here's an example of a form field validation. I'm just going to enter the, the form with, with no information in it. Uh, let's VoiceOver
1: on Chrome, error. Three errors are preventing successful submission of this form HTML content. You are currently VoiceOver off. As you can tell, I am quite a skilled visual designer. Um, but this,
0: this is another case where we've detected our errors, and if you can do form validation, you can tell them what the hell happened, right? Every, a lot, this is something a lot of people forget about, is that if we know, for instance, that you have not entered a valid phone number, tell them. Don't say, this field needs to be fixed. Tell them what's going on. We shift focus directly to the error message. We give that a roll of alert. It gets read aloud assertively. And then we give them links directly to the information that has been found to be an error. And then adjacent to each field, uh, using ARIA described by, we tell them what the problem is. Please enter your last name. The other really cool thing is, imagine this is a much more complex form, and you have filled in some of the information. You know what the next error is too, don't you? Because you've done the validation. So tell them, the next error is state, boom and then you jump them to that screen. Uh, And then the other thing I want to impress upon people is just make it accessible. Um, I I love this video because it shows, what I want you to do is pay attention as it plays to where focus happens, because one of the things that that they've done that is harmful to performance is that they cause a uh, they they cause a round trip to the server every time you change radio buttons, uh, which results in what I affectionately call hocus focus.
1: Safari Virgin America vertical line plane tickets, flights and airfares window Virgin America vertical line plane tickets, flights and airfares. HTML, visited link Virgin America internal link page content, internal link, navigation, internal link, elevate links, internal link, footer round trip, selected radio button one of three. One way selected radio virgin America you are current you are currently uh, link, good old page on change content, link navigation link elevate links link footer one way selected radio button two of three you are cur- multi city selected rate virgin America you are current you are link page yeah. content link navigate
0: and what these guys have done actually is if if you uh, if if you were able to see the full uh, URL like in Chrome or something like that. What they've thought that they've done is when the page loads, they want to shift focus to the next relevant thing. So when you select what trip type you want, it goes from round trip to one way, blah, 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 and they try to shift focus to to it by using a named anchor. The problem is that the round trip to the server uh, and back takes so long that the user's actually tabbed past that already. Okay, so they've already circumvented that. you know, that what they've done is they've made this assumption that you're just gonna, just gonna sit around and wait. Well, they haven't told you what you're waiting for. They haven't told you that, that anything is, has shifted focus, or they haven't told you that new content has been, been introduced. So you're just like, shit, I gotta start over again, and start over from the top of the page. Um, they could have just made it accessible in the first place, I think. Anyway, uh, at the end of all of my, uh, all of my talks, I, I use this slide, or another one, uh, but basically the same thing. Uh, anybody here in, in, interested in woodworking at all? Okay, so that's a dovetail joint. A dovetail joint is especially strong both mechanically and because it allows you to put, uh, you, you ju- to glue long grain to long grain. If you t- glue two pieces of boards together, end to end, that's end grain to end grain, and it's a really weak joint from a glue perspective too. Long grain to long grain is the strongest way to glue wood together. So not only are dovetails mechanically strong and and enhanced by the glue, but also they're attractive too. And I feel very strongly in the the idea that good design is the convergence between creativity and capability. Uh, I'm Carl Groves, and uh, there's my information. Thank you.
1: Great stuff, thank you, Carl.